at first. To be honest, I thought this was going to be a little bit of a mission impossible of a task. Because I remember thinking at the beginning of the week, how am I going to give a sermon on something that I know nothing about? Well, it wasn't until I did a bit of research that it all became clear. I knew more than I thought I did. You see, the genealogies has always been the part of the New Testament that I skip. I don't like to read prologues to books. I just want to get to the main story. But I never knew how important the genealogy was until I started this. The genealogy in the book of Matthew is the family tree of Jesus. I've always been interested in other people's family history, including mine. I was watching a TV program uh, the other day where famous people trace their family tree back to find out more information through electoral rolls from local churches dating back to the 1800s, marriage, birth, and death certificates. This has inspired me to find out about all the amazing people who have helped to put me where I am today. I wonder if you have had the time to discover your family history. See, back in the time of Jesus in the Middle East, your ancestors were of great importance to your status in society. You would have been regarded as high status and looked up to if you had kings and princes in your family. It was used as a way of working out who had more rights to do or to have something. And so, rightly, the New Testament starts with the ancestry of Jesus to introduce him and show his importance. The reading starts as follows. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. We are told he is the son of Abraham, thus reminding us of the great promise God said to him. You must leave everything and go to the land promised to you, and I will give you a son, and through your offspring all the nations of the earth will be blessed. He's not talking about Isaac here. He's talking about Jesus, 2,000 years beforehand. David was Israel's greatest king, and they could not have been any better off without him. One day God came to Nathan to pass on his promise in 2 Samuel verses 12 to 14. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. Jesus was called the son of David. It may come as a surprise to you, because it came as a big shock to me, but Women were not mentioned in the family tree in those days. They didn't count for much, and their testimonies were not valid in the court of law. And Jewish men even uh, prayed daily and thanked the Lord that he did not make them a woman. Shocking and wrong, I know, but it's true. So it's surprising to see that Matthew had done the most radical thing and mentioned four women in the genealogy. Men would never have dreamt to put a woman in their family tree. Here, Matthew has. The first woman mentioned is Tamar. This is the Tamar from Genesis, daughter-in-law to Judah and widow of Ur, who was put to death for his wickedness. She was told to behave like a widow until Judah's youngest son, Shelah, had grown up. After Judah's own wife had died, he used a prostitute in Enaim. However, the prostitute in question was Tamar, his daughter-in-law, as she had switched her widow's clothes for a veil to disguise herself 
she fell pregnant and gave birth to two identical twins, Perez and Zerah. Perez is mentioned as her son in the genealogy. So she pretended to be a prostitute and slept with her father-in-law. So why on earth has Matthew put her down in the family tree? What does this show for Jesus? The second woman mentioned is Rahab. She married Salmon and bore him a son, Boaz. There is no getting around this one. She was a prostitute. She wasn't even from Jer- uh, Jew- yeah. she wasn't even Jewish. She was from Jericho. So why has he said Rahab? Has Matthew lost his mind? We have a woman pretending to be a prostitute and a woman that is a prostitute. What is Matthew doing? And then we come to Ruth. She is a Moabite. After Naomi, her husband, and their two, and their two sons, Marlon and Chilion, immigrate to the nearby country of Moab. Naomi's husband dies, and their two sons marry Moabite women. Marlon marries Ruth, and Chilion marries Orpah. The, the two sons of Naomi then die themselves. Naomi and Ruth move to Bethlehem, and Ruth decides to go collect barley in the fields to support her mother-in-law and herself. The field belonged to Boaz, who admired her for her loyalty, uh, admired her loyalty to her uh, mother-in-law. She continues to collect bar- barley in his fields. One night, one night, sorry, I can't speak. Here. Uh, one night, Naomi sends Ruth to uncover the feet of the sleeping Boaz. And as she does, he awakes, and Ruth reminds him that he is the one with the right to redeem. Boaz is a close relative of Naomi's husband's family, and therefore is obliged by the Leverate law to marry Marlon's widow, Ruth, in order to carry on his family line. He marries her, and she gives birth to Obed, the grandfather of David. Obed would have inherited the wealth of barley fields and to pass on to his son Jesse, the father of David. So there's wealth in the family. But then Jewish law back then said that no Jew was to associate himself with a Moab. So why has Ruth been mentioned? David is, as said before, Israel's greatest king. Through him, they made many victories and became prosperous. However, David, as you well know, is not perfect. One night, David, whilst walking on the roof, saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and he sent someone to find out more about her. He soon discovered that her name was Bathsheba, and wife of Uriah the Hittite, who was currently at war. David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Bathsheba fell pregnant, and so David sent for Uriah, asked how things were going, and then sent him home to to wash his feet and sleep with his wife in an attempt to make it look as though Uriah was the father. However, Uriah defied David and slept on bare ground at the entrance of the palace and did not go home. When Uriah was sent back to war, Joab received a letter from David asking Uriah to be in the front line and for everybody to withdraw so that he is left fighting by himself and therefore dies. The murder of Uriah was David's last attempt to make sure that Bathsheba was his. So, okay, at the moment it doesn't look good. Jesus has two prostitutes, a couple of foreigners, a murderer and an adulterer in his family. 
Jesus was the descended offspring of that relationship. He has a pretty messed up family tree, but I think Matthew intended us to tell that. It tells us something about God and about Jesus. Jesus didn't hang around with the kings and princes or go to the high priest for a spot of lunch. No, he was with the sinners, the lepers, the tax collectors, the outcasts of society. He was healing the blind and raising the dead. He was there for everyone. He broke down racial barriers, such as in the Good Samaritan. Treated everyone equally and let no person be treated dif different for any others. This is what the women of Jesus, of Jesus' family are telling us. Those women with different gifts and different talents, helping um, to explain what God has in store for us. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for our families as they make up the elements of who we are. Thank you for your unfailing love and that you love and accept everyone no matter what. In Jesus' name, amen.